0: It is 9th of October 1996. You sit flanked by a pageant of the most die-hard fans you've ever met, people whose commitment to their country's sporting endeavour knows absolutely no bounds. These are people who have travelled nearly 2,000 miles from their home country to a nation that most of them know nothing about, perhaps not entirely due to their own ignorance. After all. Estonia has only been truly independent of the collapsed Soviet Union for five years. 800 of you in a stadium that's little more than a municipal facility, all waiting in nervous, slightly drunken anticipation to see the boys walk out of the tunnel. It is almost three o'clock, and the Scotland men's national team is stepping out onto the pitch below you. 11 Scots, ready to go toe-to-toe with a team they had only met twice before. That's the beauty of international football. Go to new places, meet new people, drink strange drinks with strange people, and leave with new best pals. But the Estonian national team aren't here. Not on the pitch. Not in the stadium. Not even in the city of Tallinn. The match had originally been scheduled to kick off 4 hours later, but the floodlights, hoisted into the air on cherry pickers and looking very, very temporary, were unable to illuminate the pitch sufficiently to play the match in the dark, so the game was brought forward, and Estonia, having an apparently rigid transport plan, refused to turn up. So you and 800 of your pals all decked out in kilts, kits and all the other accoutrements of the Tartan army, fill the air with chants of We only play in the daylight as you watch the team line up alongside the referee for the national anthems, as the captain, John Collins, takes on the coin toss and shakes hands with the officials. The whistle blows. The match kicks off. Billy Dodds knocks the ball gently to Collins, who jogs forward for a few steps. Until the whistle blows again. The match is over. It lasted all of two seconds. They still sing about it. There's only one team in Tallinn. This is Scotland. A podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. It is the 10th of June 1998. The team had come through a difficult qualifying group including having to replay that ill-fated game against Estonia, when the Scottish FA believed that they should have been given a 3-0 victory by default. And you and a hardy band had followed them everywhere, been there for every goal, every late heartbreak, every moment of unrelenting joy. There were 800 of you that afternoon in Tallinn, and now, in the sun-drenched streets of Saint-Denis, in the shadow of the giant newly built Stade de France, your legion. They say that 60,000 Scotland fans, Tartan Army foot soldiers as you like to be known, have made the trip to France to see Scotland compete at the 1998 FIFA World Cup. The nation is buzzing on the back of it. This was the pinnacle of football, and 1998 was a vintage year with some of the best talent in the world on display. The likes of Zidane, Salas, Maldini, Beckham, Bergkamp, players at the height of their powers. People who could do things with a ball that would turn your head 180 degrees. And then there were Scotland's opponents, the men drawn beside us to open up the whole thing. Scotland were the main event on opening day, and the world was watching. It was anticipating. It was expecting us to get systematically picked apart and then ground into a fine powder by the best football team on the face of the planet. Because Scotland were playing Brazil, a team containing 21 individuals all touched by wizards who could spin your head 360 degrees, pop it off, flick it over their heads and land it back on your neck before you'd even realised it was gone. They also had Dunga, and Dunga played like he was competing to win a Mortal Kombat tournament. The Tartan army don't care. You don't care. Because if you're going to get taken apart, then you're going to go down fighting, and that's all that you can ask for. You get there early. Who would want to miss a second of this? You take your seat among a bunch of folk you know from following Scotland around the world. The squad walk out to check the pitch, wearing full kilts and saluting the stands. The growing band of foot soldiers goes wild. Some even put down their pints. 15 minutes to go until kickoff. The stadium is packed, and there's now folk from all over the country crammed into this giant stadium, a behemoth modelled after a terminal at JFK Airport that holds 80,000 people. 60,000 Scots in the streets, probably closer to 25,000 in the seats. And then the first of many strange sights on the pitch at the Stade de France that day. There's Ricky Martin, global superstar and singer of the official World Cup song, leading a marching band out to the centre circle. You've had a couple of cheap wines, but you're pretty sure that's a real thing that's happening. People are dancing in the stands, there's a real Latin vibe in the stadium. In fact, throughout the whole of France. Even the opening ceremony, which is a whirling hallucination of vibrant inflatable flowers and weird characters, people hanging on trapezes from the rafters of the stadium, has something of a samba-edged flavour. Is Ricky Martin really that popular? Or does that mean people think that Brazil are going to win the World Cup at a canter? The Brazilian fans certainly do. The teams begin to walk out onto the pitch the Brazilians walking hand-in-hand, Scotland, led by a stony-faced Colin Hendry, the towering defender with a shock of blonde hair who would look more at home in a comic book than on a football pitch. The roars of the Tartan army were almost, almost, drowned out by the adoring cheers and wild whistles that accompanies every match that the Selassau play in. You're standing behind the goal that Scotland are attacking in the first half. You should be sitting, but suddenly the knocking of yours and everyone's knees around you has ruled out sitting as an option. So you stand through the national anthems as you, the players, the staff and every other Scottish fan in the stadium belt out Flower of Scotland so loud that you think the people at home can probably hear it. And of course they can because millions of them are huddled excitedly around TVs all across the country. As we mentioned in the last couple of episodes, we've recently relaunched our Patreon, and we think it's one of the best value for money Patreons that you can join, to be honest. If you like Scotland, if you like sleep stories, if you enjoy Mitch's music and Jamie's art, then you can get them all on our new Patreon, for as little as $3 a month. You really can't say fairer than that. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash be media and support us. Kick off. Immediately Scotland are on the back foot. No wonder many of these players playing in their biggest game of their lives. We mistakes can be forgiven, will be forgiven, After all, if you're this nervous and excited then you can't imagine how the players must be feeling. It is 5.34pm local time. The match has been underway for four minutes, and Brazil have a corner kick. Rivaldo, one of the undoubted stars in a team of stars, steps up and curls a corner in towards the near post of 40-year-old Aberdeen goalkeeper Jim Layton. As the ball comes in, it's heading for a point somewhere between the captain Colin Hendry and midfielders John Collins and Craig Burley. And appearing in that space, Brazil's centre-back, César Sampaio. It hits his forehead point-blank and cannons into the net. The Stade de France erupts in a volcano of yellow and green. The holders of the World Cup are ahead in the first five minutes and you and every other Scotland fan are suddenly deflated, there's a little bit of every Scottish heart that's always pessimistic. But suddenly, the boys come out of the blocks and start to pile pressure onto the Brazilian backline, carving chances out of nothing and creating opportunities from set plays. The manager, Craig Brown and his assistants, definitely had this in their game plan. Maybe not the goal, but suddenly the pessimism floats away as Tafarel in the Brazil goal comes under pressure. At the other end, Leighton is bombarded too, but it's going to take more than attempts from range to catch him out. It is 5.49pm local time. A speculative cross into the box has Christian Daly and Gordon Judy both rising to meet it, while Kevin Gallacher, playing out of his skin up front, darts across the box and gets wiped out by Cesar Sampaio. Brazilian goalscorer. The referee points to the penalty spot. And then everything goes wild. The crowd is ignited as the Scotland fans celebrate and the Brazilians remonstrate. The suits, guests of the sponsors, watch on nonplussed. In an ocean of tumult there is one island of complete calm. As John Collins places the ball on the penalty spot, and waits for a moment while the referee deals with the last of the complaints. The whistle blows, one step, the Stade de France holds its breath, two steps, everyone in Scotland holds their breath, three steps, it's so quiet that you can almost hear a boot hit of football. There's a split second where you can hear doubt transform into hope as Colin strike passes the keeper's hand to his right pandemonium. Collins is on his way to the Scotland fans in your section, leaping into a spin pointing at the name on the back of his shirt, the one person from Scotland never lacking in confidence at that moment. Scotland are going in at half time, level with the world champions. It's clear though, it's going to take a Herculean effort in the second half to turn that draw into a win. And as good as the Brazilian team are, For the first 25 minutes of the second half, it's going as well as it can. Taffarel's goal is being peppered with shots, and as every minute creeps by, the people of Scotland feel that maybe, just maybe, this could happen. Maybe long shots do make it. It's not just beating the world champions. It's winning the first group game of the World Cup. It's giving every other team the fear factor going into games with you. It's taking the pressure off. It's showing the world's media that Scotland aren't to be taken lightly. It's the 74th minute. Cafu, the Brazilian right-back, picks up the ball on the right-hand side of the box and manages to take Tosh McKinley out of the game with one incredible touch, before trying a deft finish with the outside of his boot. But Jim Leighton is there, the shot cannons off his chest or possibly off his face depending on which angle you look at, and in one moment, With your hearts in your mouths. Ecstasy turns to agony. Tommy Boyd, charging back into position, is in the wrong place at the wrong time, the ball cannons off the goalkeeper, off Boyd's chest, and agonisingly slowly, bounces over the line. Brazil are 2-1 up, and Scotland have lost their first game of the World Cup. Heartbreaking, but in the wake of the game people are talking about how well Scotland played, How if they could play like that for the rest of the tournament, then there would be no problem in them making it out of the group. Scotland had shown that the Brazilians weren't infallible. They had weaknesses that could be exploited. And crucially, everyone believed that Scotland could achieve something, upset the odds, make everyone proud. But unfortunately, Scotland went out in the group stage, losing to Morocco and drawing with Norway. Brazil would lose their last group game against Norway, having already safely qualified, and then march onwards to the final. It would take France to stop them, beating them 3-0 in the World Cup final, lifting the trophy on home ground. Dunga never did win a Mortal Kombat tournament. There's no real moral to this story, but the World Cup in 1998 was the last time that the Scotland men's national team appeared at a major international tournament. Until this year, when at the time of production, we go into the postponed Euro 2020, with matches against Czechia, England and Croatia to come. Nobody expects anything from Scotland after 23 years absent from the big stage, but history shows us that it's not about winning trophies, it's about giving the country something to rally around. The opportunity to come together, if we can. The opportunity to take differences and throw them in the bin. The opportunity to celebrate something, anything, after almost a year and a half apart. No Scotland. No party. You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. Thank you to the Scottish FA and especially to Michael Bockel for giving us access to use content from Craig Brown's 1998 World Cup diary. The music for every episode of Scotland is by our very own national treasure, Mitch Bain. You can check out more of his work at mitchbain.bequiet.media Jamie Mowat does amazing illustrations for us which you can see in our episode art. See more and buy prints at tidland.com. Scotland is supported by Chris Lingwood and listeners like you on Patreon. You can get loads more from us for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash media. You can find out more about the show and read transcripts on our website, scotlandpodcast.net and we're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Thanks for listening. Look after each other, wear a mask, get vaccinated if you can. We'll see you next time. Mon Scotland.